right, amen. Uh, certainly good to uh, be introduced like that. Um, in these situations, uh, never having preached in front of this many people before, it certainly can be somewhat intimidating. Uh, if you don't mind, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read verses 34 through 40. And while you're turning to Matthew 22, uh, Brother Jeremiah, about, I would say, a month, month and a half ago, asked me if I wanted to preach. Uh, and I, I jumped at the opportunity. I thought, fantastic, absolutely, I do want to preach. And then a couple of days went by, and I realized I've got to preach. So I was in, I've been in prayer about what the Lord would have me say tonight. And if you were here Sunday, this Bible verse, this set of scripture you're going to see is going to look very familiar. So if you're there, you can remain seated uh, for the moment. But uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. We'll start with verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight so thankful for this opportunity to gather in your house, Lord. We pray now that your blessings will be upon this service, God, and that you will empty us of self and fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that our minds will be receptive to the word, Lord, our hearts will be receptive to the word, our ears will be receptive, God, and that you will protect them just the same, Lord. In everything that we do, we seek to give you the honor and glory, for it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. So there's a famous saying uh, that says, all you need is love. And books have been written about this topic. Songs have been uh, written and sung about this topic. Movies have been made about this topic. And if this saying is true, if all we need is love, then why are we lacking so much in the world today? Is it because we haven't found love? Maybe it's a certain kind of love. Could it be that we don't know who determines what the definition of love is? So these are a few questions that we need to explore tonight in tonight's message. So tonight's message, if it had to have a title, is entitled, If Love is All We Need, Why Don't We Have Everything? So as part of the introduction as well to the message tonight, I feel it pertinent to give a little bit of my testimony. The only, the only part of my testimony uh, that I want to talk about tonight is the part uh, when I went to Iraq. It, those of you who know me know that I deployed to Iraq in the year of 2005. Matter of fact, there's a picture of it right there. And really the only thing that has changed in 15 years since that picture has been taken is I've gotten 15 years older. I still got the same goofy looking face. But you can see the, uh, from the picture, my tour in Iraq wasn't completely uneventful. Um, for the first eight months or so of my deployment to Iraq, uh, things were relatively calm. There were a few IEDs here and there, a few uh, stray bullets and things like that, but by and large it wasn't bad. So the first eight months we were cruising through the deployment. So about the middle of August uh, 2005, we moved to a more volatile area, uh, the Al-Ambar province, uh, in a town called Hit. It's pronounced Hit, or pronounced Heat, but it's spelled H-I-T. So this, this area was a very volatile and dangerous area in 2005. 
And September 30th, 2005 was, actually that picture was taken around about October of 2005. So, uh, I was, I was wounded by an IED September 30th of 2005. For those of you who don't know what that means, I'm a, I'm a Purple Heart recipient. Um, I had shrapnel in my hand. I had some vertebrae that were rearranged in my neck. I, I got a concussion, but by and large, the, the wounds were not that severe. I didn't even have to be medevaced out of the country. So for that, I'm extremely thankful. But September 30th, 2005 really changed my, my life. Um, I went over to Iraq in 2005 as a little boy. When I came back from Iraq, I was a grown man, but there were, there were many problems. And there were times in 2005 I wasn't sure if I was actually going to come back or not. So fast forward to uh, us coming back uh, late December of 2005, uh, I almost immediately fell into alcohol. Uh, I was an alcoholic for about three years, if I'm just being honest, I was an alcoholic for about three years. And then for about five years after that, I was a, uh, an addict. I, I was addicted to any kind of pill that you could dream of. So for about eight years, substance controlled my life. So I came back from Iraq, and I was, I was very, uh, very broken, both mentally and physically. And I often think back to September 30th of 2005 and the situation surrounding that. And it was a very un-routine um, patrol because in the Alambar province, there wasn't a day that went by that something wasn't happening. So uh, I often think, uh, think about the people who were responsible for setting up that IED. And I often think about what I would do. And I've even been asked this. What would you do if you ever met the people or the person who tried to kill you in Iraq? Because let's be honest, if somebody's trying to kill you, it has a tendency to change your outlook on things. So I came back from Iraq and I pondered these questions often. And at first, my answer would be when people would ask me, well, I would kill them. I, quite simply put, I would kill them. And I'm not talking about in the heat of battle. I'm talking about after the fact. I would kill them. Simply put, I would kill them because they tried to kill me. Well, the Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart just a little bit. And eventually, that, that anger and that, that vengeance and that frustration would turn into sorrow. It was sorrow on my part for what I had to go through. I felt sorry for myself, and I also felt sorry for those who tried to kill me. What kind of person would try to kill someone else? I, I didn't have any answers, but the, the Holy Spirit was dealing with me on this. So eventually, I went from anger and vengeance to sorrow, and it, it ended up being forgiveness. Now, what could possibly take me from a position of anger and vengeance and sorrow and then eventually to forgiveness quite simply put I heard an old old story and even though the story is really old it's still very brand new to me so let's pray one more time Heavenly Father God once again we come to you tonight so thankful for this opportunity Lord we continue to pray for your your will to be done in this in this house tonight God I pray that you'll purge me of self and remove me as a stumbling block God and allow only what you would have me to say be said Lord thank you once again thank you for loving us Lord in Jesus Christ's name we pray amen as I mentioned before I was angry and ready to fight I, I had a lot of uh, hate in my heart um, I would purposely poke people to try to get them to uh, fight with me if I'm just gonna be honest now for those of you who've been here and in this situation, you know what I'm talking about. You're, you're angry. You're looking for a reason to vent your frustration. So 
I was constantly ready to fight. And I, I suppose in some situations you could say that's justified, right? I mean, after all, look what I just went through. I, I was just about killed in Iraq. I wasn't even sure if I was going to come back. I lost friends. My battalion lost five people to IEDs and small arms fire, and we had over 40 people who were wounded in combat, including myself. So we, we saw a lot of bad things. So it's justifiable, right, that I would come home from Iraq and that I would be... Um, bitter and angry, maybe even justify my addictions. But, and the hate in my heart, it was there, and surely it was justifiable, but the truth of the matter is, it was not justifiable. Nothing I did was justifiable, if I'm just gonna be honest. So, quite simply put, I'm, I'm commanded to love my enemies. And that's, that's a really hard pill to swallow whenever you realize that somebody's trying to kill you it's, I don't really want to love somebody who's trying to kill me, but that's what God, God's word says. So if you'll, if you'll indulge me, I've got uh, my outline here, so I'm going to turn the page. So if you fall asleep now and you wake up 20 minutes from now, you're going to think that the following message is, is some hippie-driven, liberal, new-age theology where everybody love everyone and everybody gets to go to heaven and don't worry about sin. God loves you and he's going to accept you into heaven just as you are. Truth of the matter is, this is not what this message is about. True enough, it's about love, but the very first point tonight that you need to understand if you're going to do what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 22 you're going to have to love not some things. And in this situation, this is going to be tough to do. The first thing you need to do is know what not to love. So you should love not the world. Listen to what 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says. The Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a very familiar Bible verse. We all, we, all, we all have probably heard this before, but God's word is telling us to not love the world, but to love him. So we need to define what the world is. What is the world? Quite simply put, the world is the place that the devil has dominion over. It is and, uh, the antithesis to God's law and God's word. It's sin. So we should love not the world. Right now, the world is on fire for a concept of basic human rights. The world will tell you that you have a basic human right to healthcare. They'll tell you that you have, that people have a basic human right to marriage and men can marry men and women can marry women. They'll also tell you that they have a right to sex changes. That's a basic human right according to the world. They'll even go as far as telling us, the Christians, that the world has basic human right to abortion. Now, I don't know about you, but the world doesn't get to tell me anything about basic human rights until they recognize that the right to life is the most basic human right. So right now, we're dealing with this as Christians. So turn, if you don't mind, and we're going to turn in the Bible a couple of, few, a couple of times, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. And while you guys are turning right there, to preface this or to continue this, God tells us several times in his word to come out from among the world, to uh, reject sin, to have no dealings with sin, and he also says to abstain from all appearances of evil. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, 
Paul writes, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be sons and daughters, saith the Lord. So two times in this set of scriptures, we see the Bible saying, saith the Lord. The Lord is speaking directly to us. Come out from among the world and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. It's a pretty strong admonition right there. So he's telling us to reject the world, abstain from all appearances of evil, because after all, what, what communion hath light with darkness? So the, the Lord tells us, tells us to come out from among them and be ye separate. He also tells us not to, untouch, uh, to touch not the unclean thing. Notice the promise there in verse 18. He says, if you do that, you will be a son or a daughter of the Lord Almighty. So if you're going to live in love the way Christ tells you to live in love, you have to reject the world. Okay? You have to reject the world. You have to come out from among it, and you have to be separate from it. All right? More, more of that coming in just a second. So if you'll notice, uh, not only do we not need to love the world, you also, you're already in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You're at the end of chapter 6. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So the second thing underneath, the, underneath this, what not to love, that you have to not love, is filthiness. Now, this one is as hard to do as not loving the world, because even us as Christians have a problem with filthiness. If I'm just going to be honest, I know I did. I used to have a filthy mouth. I used to live filthily. I used to look at things on my phone that I wasn't supposed to look at. So if I'm going to do what Christ commands me to do, I've got to reject those things. You see, we don't have a problem saying amen when you start talking about gay marriage. Everybody agrees gay marriage is wrong, right? At least from a moral perspective. We also don't have a problem saying amen when someone's preaching against abortion, right? We have that down pat. Now, what do we say whenever the preacher starts talking about infidelity or pornography or drunkenness? What about the music you listen to? What about pride and anger? We have a problem more so saying amen to that. So if you're going to love Christ like he commands us to do, and by the way, these are commandments. This isn't a suggestion. This is Jesus Christ in red letters in your Bible telling you that you have to love God and that you, you absolutely have to reject the world. So you have to reject the world, and you also have to reject filthiness. And, like, and I, I get it. I really do. Uh, I, I can't think of too many times in my life where I haven't had some situation arise where filthiness is in my face. Uh, I mean, this is cliche at this point, but this thing gives you access to anything you could possibly dream of. So if you're looking at these sort of things on your phone, you're not doing what God commands you to do. Quite simply put, you're not doing what God commands you to do. So listen to what Paul warns about, lastly, about this point in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. He quite simply says, neither give place to the devil. So you have to not give place to the devil. You have to reject the world, and you also have to reject filthiness. This is bad news, right? Everybody would agree, man, this is tough. 
because it may not be infidelity, it may not be addiction, it may not be a foul mouth, it may just be pride, it may be anger. Those are sins too. And I, I can tell you, these, these things really beset me, if I'm just going to be honest. Uh, I don't have as much problem anymore, and I praise the Lord. I mean, thanks to Calvary, I have been drug-free for over seven years this month. So I couldn't do that on my own power uh, because I tried. I tried over 200 times to quit. Literally, I would take my drugs, I would throw them out in the yard. I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. And then two hours later, I was back out in the yard picking them up so I could have them. I was having withdrawals. I, just, I was addicted. And I was addicted to the fleshly desires of, of this world. So, all right, so we know now what not to love, right? We, we've seen from God's word that we have to love not the world. We have to come out from among it. We've got to reject filthiness. So, and if we're not going to give place to the devil, then who should we give place to? Well, that's point number two. The second point tonight, if you're going to love Christ the way he commands you to love, is you have to know who to love. Go ahead and turn back in, to Matthew chapter 22 uh, right now. Matthew chapter 22, and look at verse 37. Verse 37 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Now, that may seem elementary, right? I mean, it's in red letters in your Bible. That may seem like common sense. But have you ever sat down and really thought about why you should love God? I mean, yeah, it's a commandment. We, we agree that it's a commandment. He says it's a commandment, so it's a commandment. But why should I love God? Well, I should love God because he created me. He created me in his image. He first loved me. So, and he's shown me so much grace, so much mercy, so much patience. The Lord's been really patient with me. And I, I feel like he's been patient with a lot of us, if, if I'm just being honest. So you have to, you have to understand that we have to love God. It's, it's a commandment. All right? So... Uh, also, he's given us over 7,400 promises in his Bible, and no, I, I didn't count it. I used Google like a, a smart person did. There's no way I could have counted all the promises. So, and the thing about God is, the reason why I should love him, those 7,400 promises, we're used to politicians giving us promises, right? They never deliver. Well, God's not a politician. He has delivered on his word time and time again, and he's going to continue to do so. So, but also what I want you to notice, too, not only are you supposed to love God, you're supposed to know to love God, but you're also supposed to love your neighbor. And if you'll notice in your Bible, these aren't out of order. You first have to love God, then you have to love your neighbor. It says it right there. So and there are no mistakes in the Bible. God comes first, then your neighbor. So oftentimes whenever I read the Bible, I like to look for things that are not there. All right, and I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I, don't, I don't mean I change the Bible to suit what I believe. I'm looking in the Bible to see things that are missing, not because I think I could do better, but you'll see what I'm saying in just a minute. So we have to define what a neighbor is. So when I'm reading this set of scripture right here, when I look at the definition of neighbor, it doesn't exclude anyone. That could be, honestly, it could be the homosexual. And I know that's not popular to say, but yes, we are commanded to love the homosexual. Maybe it's a Muslim. We're commanded to love them as well. And the reason we are is because we're not going to change the world for the cause of Christ if we're not loving his creation. So uh, it can also be the alcoholic. I mean, I'm glad, that, I'm glad that the Lord loves me because if he didn't, then I would still be an alcoholic. I would still be a pillhead. All right. 
So, but make no mistake about it, as we'll see in just a minute, we are to not have communion. Paul's already said it. We're not to be in the world. So we should not have communion with the world, but we should be witnesses to them. So when the world lectures us on this verse, and I've done a lot of witnessing and talking with people, my own testimony and things like that, and the world loves to look at this set of scripture they may not even be able to quote it, but they know that you're supposed to love your neighbor. And the world will tell you you should love your neighbor no matter what they're doing. All right, now we know if somebody's in sin that it is our responsibility to try to help them out of that, right? So the homosexual is, is going to continue to be a homosexual until someone tells him, hey, you're not supposed to be that. So a Muslim is going to continue to pray five times towards Mecca unless somebody tells him, hey, you're not supposed to do that. But... You, uh, you would not go to a bar to try to convince someone who was a drunkard that they were in sin. You wouldn't go drink a beer with a drunkard to convince him he was a drunkard. You wouldn't become a gang member to warn of the dangers of being a gangster. You wouldn't hold the needle for someone as they injected drugs into their arm. You wouldn't have communion with them, but you would certainly be a witness to them. So you have to love them, just not their sin. And once again, notice here there are no modifiers. Your neighbor could be black, he could be white. He could be rich or poor. He could even be a liberal. Are you telling me that I've got to love liberals? Yeah. Telling me I've got to love Joe Biden? Yeah. It's not, not popular, but yes, because how are we going to change the world for the cause of Christ if they don't see the reason of the hope that's in us? And if we're not loving them like we're supposed to, they're going to continue on their merry way and never know anything differently. So we even uh, look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 10. He says, uh, love worketh no ill. And you don't have to turn here, uh, turn here, but love worketh no ill to his neighbor. And that love is the fulfilling of the law. We even find Jesus telling us to love our enemies in the Beatitudes. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but listen to what Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says. But I say to you, love your enemies. You mean I love my enemies? Yeah. You mean to tell me I have to love the person who tried to kill me in Iraq? Yeah. How else is he going to ever learn, if I ever had the opportunity, how else is he going to learn that what he did was wrong? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Wait. You're telling me that I've got to bless those who curse me? Yeah. That's tough, right? Do good to those who hate you. That's a tough one, too. I don't want to do that. You hate me, I hate you back. It's not the right answer. You also, Jesus says here in the Beatitudes, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Mm. So make no mistake here, there are a lot of enemies to God's word. There are. You see it every day. Every time you turn the news channel on or you turn the TV on, you turn your radio on, there are enemies to God's word. So I, I want to give you a challenge tonight. All right. The next time you start talking to someone about the Lord, if you go out soul winning, if you go out evangelizing, if you go out and you just give somebody your testimony, I want you to reach way back and I want you to slap them right in the face. And I mean, lay into them, hit them as hard as you possibly can. Then I want you to start talking about how good the Lord's been to you. Now, obviously, that's silly. Nobody would actually do that, right? 
So you don't actually have to slap somebody in the face in order to lose your witness. Sometimes it's an unkind word. Sometimes it's when they're in the fast lane and going slow. Sometimes it's they're taking too long in a red light. Maybe they're taking up the whole aisle at Walmart. Be patient with them. You don't want to be mean to them when you're trying to witness, and witness to them. D.L. Moody once said that out of 100 people, one person will read the Bible. 99 others will read the Christian. So I have to ask tonight, how are you being read? Are you being the witness that you're supposed to be? Are you showing the love of Christ the way he commands it to be shown? And I, ha I have a confession to make, all right? Uh, I know that we, uh, we're not in the confessional mode, but I feel like this is something that's bothered me for a really long time. Uh, and one of the people that I'm about to mention tonight is probably watching online, so he's about to hear an apology from me. I have two stories. One was in a previous life, I worked offshore. I actually did that six years before I uh, came to work in the school here. And that's been a blessing, by the way. Uh, I've worked offshore for six years, and I ran basically an auto zone offshore. I had a, a warehouse and um, I had parts and had a lot of inventory, and it was a great job. I loved it. I was separated from the rest of the platform, so anytime uh, I wouldn't see people unless they needed something out of the warehouse, which was great, which I wasn't always great because people were always needing something, but I wasn't down where the rest of the other people were. And in the back of my warehouse, I had an office, and very rarely was there anybody there, but periodically they would stick somebody back there. Well, they put one gentleman back there one time, and uh, it didn't take me long to realize that he wasn't my favorite person. And when I would see him coming to me, I would pretend like I was busy. If I wasn't busy, I, would, I was always busy, but I would pretend like I wasn't busy. I would start shuffling papers on my desk and mumbling to myself, I can't talk right now, I'm busy. Because I was trying to keep him from talking to me. I didn't, I didn't want to talk to him. And then over time, the Holy Spirit started, you need to go talk to him. Mm-mm, I don't want to talk to him. He gets on my nerves. Go talk to him. Mm-mm. Go talk to him. <sighs> okay, Lord. So... I ended up talking to him, and this, this was about two years ago. This was December of 2018. So I ended up talking to him, and, and I, I asked him about his salvation. I asked him if he was saved and if he died, if he knew where he would go, and, and I gave him a little bit of my testimony. And then he gave me his testimony. So he was saved. Uh, he was born again Christian. He, he was saved. But when I started talking to him with meaningful, on purpose, he told me a story that made me feel this tall. He, in the six months previous to our conversation, his wife of almost 30 years had left him and taken most of his money. He had been laid off from his job, so he was broke for two reasons. He had lost his son in a motorcycle accident, and he had gained 50 pounds, I suppose, from stress eating. So as he's telling me this, I feel this tall, and I had to turn around to pretend like I was working again to keep him from seeing the tears on my face. This whole time, he had been wanting to talk to someone as a Christian, and I'm supposed to be a Christian, he had been wanting to talk to someone who could carry a burden with him. And here I was in my selfishness and in my reluctance to follow what the Holy Spirit had told me to do, 
was on my way to missing out on being able to show the love of Christ because I was selfish. So it, it smoked my heart. And I mean, even two years later, and if you're watching Scott, I really am sorry. I apologize. Uh, I hate that you found out this way. And he really wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't. He was cool. He just, I didn't want to talk to him, right? He, he, and look, don't y'all act like y'all don't have somebody y'all have done that to. All right, everybody ducks and hides from somebody every now and then. You, they pick up the phone call, you put it back down. You talking to this person. So the second story, and my family knows about this one, and I, I, I really, he, I know he's watching tonight. And Sarah knows. I know he's watching tonight. I met a guy on my online Bible college uh, about three years ago, uh, and I don't know him personally, but I know him through Messenger because he constantly messages me. His name is Prakash, and he lives in Nepal. So Prakash never fails. And my students, they're not in here right now, but then I think Brother Michael knows about him too. I've told everybody except him. Um, so if you're watching tonight, Prakash, I apologize for what I'm about to say. But he will message me every day, every day. I talk to him more than I do my really close friends, all right? So he constantly messages me and asks me how I'm doing, asks me how he can pray for me. And, and if I'm just being honest, after about a year, I don't want to talk to you. Got on my nerves, okay? I'm selfish. I'm sorry. I'm confession. I'm selfish. So, uh, Prakash, a, a couple of months ago, he was telling me uh, that he, he has a church there. He's actually a pastor there in Nepal. And he looks up to me, all right? He looks to me as someone he can confide in and get spiritual guidance. And although he never knew it, I just didn't like to talk to him all the time. I didn't, because I'm selfish, all right? So Prakash has been sick. Nepal is a, a landlocked country. 80% 80, 80 of the country follows Hinduism. They're very close to the gospel. If you get caught spreading the gospel there, it's three to five years in prison. He's had the police knock on his door. He's been beaten up physically, assaulted, because he tried to witness to someone. He's been sick. He's walked 10 hours in one day to a village to give them the gospel. And here I am in America, in this church, before you all, in nice clothes. I go home to a nice house. I drive a nice vehicle. And I have the audacity to get aggravated when someone like him, who's done more for the cause of Christ than I ever could, I have the audacity to get aggravated when he wants me to pray for him. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? No. Shame on me. Shame on me. And if there's a precaution in your life, if there's a Scott in your life, shame on you as well. Maybe we can do better for the cause of Christ if we just do what he tells us to do. So we've, we've looked at this topic uh, of, of who to love. So we know what not to love. We know who to love. The third point tonight, if you're going to follow what Christ tells us to do, is you need to know how to love. Look at verse 37 once again in Matthew chapter 22. We are to love with all of our heart. Notice that word all, all right? That word all is very definitive. It means everything. We're to love with all of our heart. So why is the heart important? Well, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says that out of the heart is, the, uh, out of the heart is the, all the issues of life. So the word heart is mentioned 830 times in the Bible, and I did count that. I did go through and count all those. So um, 
to give an example of how one might live with all of their heart, uh, when preparing for a chapel service um, last year, I mentioned this story in that chapel service, but there was a seventh grader uh, named Diesel Pippert in Ohio, and he was at a fair, and he had a bunch of livestock, and he was, uh, had been grooming the livestock and taking care of it, and he sold his livestock at that fair, and he had, he had made $15,000 on selling his livestock. Rather than keeping that money, that 12-year-old decided he was going to donate it to a charity. He gave $15,000 to St. Jude's. I don't know about you, but if if I had $15,000, I'm going to have a really hard time letting go of it. But I believe little Diesel was loving with all of his heart. Now, look, you don't have to give $15,000 to charity in order to show your love for someone. All right? But if you do have $15,000, feel free to go ahead and give it to Miss Shelley, and she'll take care of it. She'll put it in the bank account for the church. So you can, you can show love by praying for someone. That's free. You can show love by opening the door for someone. That's also free. You can show love just by being kind, listening to people. That's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Okay? So if you're going to love with all of your heart, you also have to love with all of your soul. All of your soul, says so in, in, in Matthew 22, verse 37. Why is the soul important? Look what Matthew Henry has to say about the soul. He says, The soul of man, considered in its three noble faculties, understanding, will, and active power, is perhaps the brightest, clearest looking glass in nature wherein to see God. So if you're not loving God with all of your soul, the very essence of God's nature will not be seen in you. So whenever we go out giving gospel tracts, whenever we tell people about what the Lord has done for us, we, don't, we, we go out soul winning. So souls are important to the Lord, so we should love him with all of our soul. So if you're going to love with all of your heart and love with all of your soul, you also have to love with all of your mind. It says so there in Matthew 22, verse 37, all of your mind. Why is the mind important? Look what James chapter 1, verse 8 says. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's a familiar verse. So if you have half a mind to do something the Lord tells you to do, if you have half a mind to come to church, half a mind to read your Bible, half a mind to pray for someone, which side do you think is going to win? I'll tell you it's not going to be the side of the Lord. So if your mind that's not on the Lord is not on the Lord, then the other side's going to win. And, and I'm not exactly sure who, has, who came up with this analogy. Uh, some sources said it was Martin Luther. Some said it was a Chinese proverb. But there, uh, the analogy goes like this. We can't stop a bird from flying over our head, but we can stop him from building a nest. So what happens is if you're not loving the Lord with all of your mind, those filthiness things that we were talking about earlier, they find their way into your mind, and it trickles down from there. It goes from the mind into the flesh. It goes into the heart. It goes into everything about you. So if your mind is open to the world, even the slightest little bit, that's the wedge. Remember Brother Jeremiah talking about a wedge? He even had the crowbar up here. That's the wedge the devil needs to get in. So once again, notice some things here that are missing. God doesn't want you to love him with your flesh. He doesn't. You know why? Because there's nothing good in it. He doesn't want you to love him with his flesh. He does not want you to love him with your money. He's, he, he's an owner of cattle on, uh, on a thousand hills. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want you to love him with your fame or your good looks. And that's, 
that's good because a lot of us wouldn't be able to love the Lord like he would need to be loved. He wants us to love him with all of our mind and all of our body and all of our soul, all of our heart. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move along here. Uh, I will mention this. Uh, these two stories that I'm about to tell really quick. Uh, in, in North Carolina and Michigan as well, um, there were two different families affected by criminal activity. Two, two Muslim families, as a matter of fact. They, both situations, a Muslim man was killed, and the perpetrators of the, of the, the crimes um, were found guilty and sent to prison. And long story short, the Muslim family reached out to the, the, the family who had committed the, the crime. And in both situations, those people were able to win them to Islam because they were showing the type of love that Christ commands us to show. So th that, that, shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the case, okay? We, we should not be being outdone by other groups, other denominations. There are false religions right now that are marching people straight to hell because they're showing the kind of love that we're called to show. So shame on us if that's the case. Why is it that people are able to go to a foreign mission field for two years as a young adult? Why is it that there are certain false denominations out there who knock on more doors than us? By the way, anybody ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to their, their door? Yeah, you have. You hid from them, didn't you? I have. I'm just going to be honest. I have hid from them. So we've spent a lot of time talking about this issue of love. So I asked earlier, what was the definition of love? And what is love? Who gets, to, who gets the final say in this, in this topic of love? Well, the Bible's very clear. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, love is the promises contained in this Bible. Love is what paved the road to Calvary. Love is the cross. Love is the empty tomb. Love is what compels a missionary to go overseas and spread the gospel and give up the creature comforts of this life so that others may know about him. So one last Bible verse before we close. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. I'll go ahead and read it while you guys are turning for the sake of time. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Notice that word charity. That's not a coincidence. That word, when transliterated from the Greek, is transliterated from the word agape. And it is the highest form of love that one can have. It is the love that God has for us and that we're called to have for him. But notice the word there. It's charity. We recognize that word as something that we receive or someone receives that they can't pay back. So this topic of love, all it is is God reaching down and an act of charity through the cross and pulling us up where we're beggars and making us millionaires. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about spiritual blessings. So it's important to understand that when, when you study that out, that's exactly what it means. Now, once again, there are no mistakes. I'm not, I'm not adding to the Bible here. Charity, when I, and I went, I went cross-referenced it, it is agape. It's love. But we see that, and we think that charity is something that other people get when there's a need. 
So God was able to fill that on Calvary. Listen to, listen to what Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 says. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The world can't give us that kind of love. That promise right there can't come from the world. Last Bible verse before we begin to close. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Listen to what Jesus says. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. You see, I mentioned that I had a lot of disdain in my heart for those who tried to kill me. God's word is clear. I'm supposed to love my enemies. And as tough as that is, I've got to do it. And the reason I've got to do it, you've got to understand this. The reason I've got to do it is because God died. Jesus even says it. Jesus died, and he says it in Luke 6.35. He died for the unthankful and the evil. And I tell you, if that doesn't sum up 2020, I don't know what does. We're so unthankful. We're, collectively, we're evil. Jesus died for that, too. So I want, you, I want you to notice that if he, if he, can, if he can love them, or he, if he can die for them, he can, I, I can love them. Surely I can love them. So if we want to have this kind of love, and we don't have it, you've got to get rid of the worldly desires. You've got to get rid of the filthiness. You've got to love not the world. You've got to love not the world. You've got to know what not to love, and that includes love not the world, love not the, fe- the flesh and the filthiness of it. You've also got to know who to love, and you've got to know how to love. So if you're, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that if you were to die, you can know it tonight. You can know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. We've got to turn to the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. And I, I do, I want, to give you, I want to give you a challenge, a couple of more challenges in closing. Tonight or tomorrow, whenever you, you go out, go out and tell someone about the love of Jesus Christ. Tell them about what, they've, what he's done in your life. Don't slap them, all right? I don't, I don't want you to get physical with them. That was a joke. Besides, if it come to find out that uh, you were Central Baptist, Brother, Brother Jeremiah might get in trouble, Brother Nate might get arrested, and we wouldn't want that. But tell someone about the Lord, all right? Not only do I want you to tell someone about the Lord, but I, I want you to uh, prove that you love him and prove that you love his word. And if we say we do, prove it by loving his creation. So if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure, tonight's the night. We'll have counselors down here to show you from his word how you can know this kind of love. With every head bowed and every eye, eyes closed.